You're listening to the Matthew Sermon Series at Sojourn J-Town. In this series, we're following Jesus as He calls us to take on His yoke so that we might experience true flourishing. I'm just needing you to kind of write down uh, a few things here, all right? So find your phone, get a piece of paper, whatever you want to. And I, and I do... I'm not going to go around and make sure everybody does this, but I am asking you to kind of do this because at the end of it, we'll come back to this. And here's what I want you to write down or tap into your phone. It's this. What, uh, what is your kind of gut answer to this question? If someone would come to you this morning and ask you, what do you want? How would you answer that question? So obviously I'm looking for something a little bit deeper than Krispy Kreme donuts, right? Uh, sweet tea from Chick-fil-A. I don't know what your, what your thing that you love so much. I, I'm wanting more of kind of deep longings, deeper desires, deeper wants here. If someone would come to you this morning and ask you, what do you want? What would you write down? Someone give us a few seconds in this awkward space of silence to write those down or tap them in your phone. When I thought about this question this week, here are the four that um, immediately came to my mind. And these are just going to be shared without any kind of commentary. One was peace. kind of a subtleness in my own soul, resilience, courage, and joy. I don't know how you come in this morning. Sometimes I um, feel like sometimes we when we come in on a Sunday morning, there, there's a way that we kind of have to check our longings and desires and wants at the door. And we kind of enter in with this sort of um, false understanding that I got to make sure all my desires, wants, and longings are uh, what Jesus would want. We want to make sure they're, they're right. And, and I'm just asking you for the next 25, 30 minutes or so, just to kind of as best you can, tear down that dichotomy and just be kind of honest with what your longings are, your desires, your wants. Don't ask questions of these things I should want, should desire. Just, just sit with those. And here are a few questions or just a couple questions I would ask. One is this, is um, how often, and I don't mean this to like make you feel bad. I'm just wanting to see if you're... Um, cultivating sort of an honest relationship with God, how often are you bringing those wants and longings and desires to him? Not just like one time, you know, yeah, yeah, last week I said something about this, but you're genuinely seeking the Lord and bringing these wants and desires to him continually in communion, in fellowship, and in relationship with God. How often has this really been what you've prayed for? Second question that kind of relates to this, how do you know with confidence that God really cares about those longings, wants, and desires that you just put down on a piece of paper or in your phone, especially 
if you're in a season where those longings, wants, and desires have not been answered? How do you know he cares? How do you deal with the doubts that all of us probably kind of deal with in our own minds and hearts that, that when, we, when we pray for these things to happen and they consistently do not happen, then where do you go to cultivate confidence that God really cares for you? That he really cares about what you long for, about what you desire, about what you want. When it seems like he's ignoring that. I think it's one of the reasons why I, I was drawn to this passage this, today was supposed to be uh, the beginning of chapter 21, uh, where, we, where Jesus goes into Jerusalem, the triumphal entry. We're going to celebrate Palm Sunday in the middle of October. Uh, we'll come back to that next week and fold that in. And so there is a, a transition that's happening here. So we're coming to the end of a chapter, right, and starting a new one next week. And, and here's what we got to see, like chapters 1 to chapter 20 is covering about 33 years. Right, so that's, that's pretty fast. Chapter 21, all the way to the end of the book, a little over a week. So we're getting ready to slow down, right? And I just felt like um, we couldn't fly by this miracle of Jesus, the last one that Matthew chooses to record in detail, all right, in detail. There's another one he talks about in chapter 21, but it's more kind of in passing. So this is the last miracle that, G, that Matthew specifically chooses to record in detail. And I just want to kind of stop here before we jump into 21 today and just kind of like, okay, why, Matthew? What, what's going on here? And, and what we've got to remember anytime we dive into the book of the Bible, any, like it's Matthew or Luke or John, wherever you jump into, there's, there's kind of multiple layers that's going on in writing. So there's a there's kind of a main layer or, or, or kind of a, a narrative that, that kind, of, um, it, it kind of is the overarching kind of theme of what's going on in a book. And so sort of the main layer of what's going on in Matthew, if I can just sum it up in, in a sentence or so, is that Jesus, Matthew's trying to show us and the nation of Israel that Jesus is their true Messiah. And so through miracles, teachings, and all that we see from Chapters 1 to 20 so far, and we'll see this even in later in chapters, obviously. But he's helping us see that this is the true identity of Jesus. It's almost like these stories and miracles are giving proof that, to the identity that Jesus truly is Israel's Messiah. And so that's, that's kind of like the main layer that's going on in the book of Matthew. And sometimes uh, we have a tendency to kind of just stay there. Not that that's bad, not wrong. I just think there's another layer that I think we have trouble getting to, and it's, it's more of the personal layer. That yes, Matthew is recording this story of Jesus healing these two blind men to continue to show that Jesus is the true Messiah, Israel's true Messiah, but also another layer of that is that it's written for you. For you to experience this story. And I love how one writer talks about this, that sometimes when you encounter these narratives like this, that, that he encourages us to en engage your imagination. Put yourself in this story. 
Don't just read it with just your you know, intellect only, but engage your imagination and pay attention to what you see. Pay attention to what you're smelling. Pay attention to what you're hearing. And pay attention to what's going on in your emotional world. What do you feel? See, this is the personal layer that sometimes is really hard for us to step into. And my desire this morning is that, and it may not happen in in this short amount of time, and maybe my encouragement for you is to take this short miracle here and just soak in it all throughout the week and try to engage your imagination and put yourself in the story. But my desire this morning is I don't want you just to know that God cares for your longings and desires, even those that are unmet, but I want you to experience it. I want you to to feel it in the core of your being that you would leave here not just knowing intellectually, but also experientially that God cares for what you put down on your piece of paper or typed up in your phone. He cares about your longings, your wants, your desires. I mean, look what's happening here. So just to kind of get us context a little bit in the story. You know, a, a blind person's physical existence in this time was just awful. It was horrible. It was a humbling way to live. There wasn't systems to take care of them in this time. And so they were, they were basically left to begging for their life, for food, for money, for them to make it day to day. They were, they just begged all the time. And the reason why they're just right outside of Jerusalem is because Passover is getting ready to take place. And there's hundreds and not thousands of travelers rolling through there. And there would be many lame and specifically blind people just begging, begging for money, begging for food, begging for some kind of way to continue their daily existence. It's a very humbling and um, shameful existence because even in this time, not only did the blind people probably think this, but most people looking at them thought, hey, what did they do wrong in their life to deserve this kind of punishment? So it's a, a very shameful existence. And most people just stood away from them because they're, the, the blindness in this time specifically here is just a really gross disease. The very crusty eyes, pus oozing out. Just imagine like pink eye and multiply it by like a thousand. It's just really nasty. And so most people just like, just kept their distance and just didn't have anything to do with them, would not talk to them, would not approach them, and for sure would never touch them. That's their existence. And they hear, they hear Jesus, hear this big crowd rustling around. They've heard about him. And look what they say here and pay attention what they call Jesus. At the end of verse 30, it says this, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us. And what did he call him? Son of David. Verse 31, the crowd demanded that they keep quiet, but they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, Son of 
of David. This is the second time in the Gospel of Matthew where blind men are calling out to Jesus his, this title called Son of David. And that title is the Jewish way of saying the Messiah. So go home and read 2 Samuel chapter 7. It's an important chapter within the Old Testament because in that chapter we see that the coming Messiah would be one who comes from the house of David who would sit on the throne of David and he would sit there forever and ever and ever. That's why in Matthew's genealogy in chapter 1, Matthew is specifically tracing Jesus' genealogy through King David. And so when these blind men are crying out, son of David, they are acknowledging the royal Davidic status of Jesus. And so these blind men are seeing things that even the crowd cannot, even the disciples can't see it, and even obviously the religious leaders can't see it. There's a way that these blind men are seeing more than anyone in the midst of that time because they see Jesus as he truly is. He is Israel's Messiah. And so this is a profound statement that's coming out of the mouths of these blind men. Matthew is indicating here that it takes a kind of sight a spiritual sight for you to see who Jesus is. You can't just see it with your physical eyes. That's why after reading the passage of Scripture here, and I say it almost every week that we gather, God, help us see. Like, and I'm not talking like just help us see the words on a page so we pronounce them well, right? That's, that's not what we're after. It's like with the psalmist prays in Psalm 119, 18, where he says, open the eyes of our heart. That's what I want. It's what I want for me. It's what I want for our church. That's what I want for my boys. I want their eyes of their heart to be opened up so they can see who Jesus is. And that's exactly what these blind men do. When they call out the son of David, they're able to see who Jesus is. The crowds are saying, shut up. Blind men, have mercy, Jesus, son of David. And then... Jesus is able to hear this cry of mercy and this cry of faith. And look what Jesus does in verse 32. Jesus stopped, called them, and said, What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do? For you, Jesus does not instantly heal. He first inquires, why? That's such a strange question. It's an obvious answer, is it not? I mean, Jesus is, is God in the flesh, and we've seen this in the gospel where, you know, Jesus will be in a, in a crowd of people, and he'll be talking, and, and he'll perceive the thoughts of another. Isn't that crazy? He'll perceive the thoughts of another. They haven't spoken this out loud, but he's, he hears their thoughts and then he responds to what they're thinking. Wouldn't that be freaky if you're in the midst of that, right? Maybe I'm the only one who thinks that's freaky. Can you just shake your head if you feel like that would be, that'd be a little freaky? But over and over, we see that Jesus does that. So why in the world would he need to know what they want? He knows what they want. Why? Why ask this question? 
Anytime Jesus asks a question, he's not asking for information. Anytime Jesus leads with a question, he's not asking for more info as if he didn't know what these people needed. Anytime Jesus is asking a question, he is inviting a conversation that leads to curious reflection. You follow me? He asks a question not to gain info as if he doesn't have that information. He's always asking a question that leads to a conversation. And that conversation is to bring about kind of curious reflection, not condemnation. Condemnation just leads to no kind of conversation. It just makes people feel bad and you walk away. No, Jesus is wanting to ask a question that will lead into a curious kind of reflection on the part of the listener. So we can see this in chapter 20. If you go all the way to the beginning when he does that little parable that no one likes where, you know, the last person gets to pay the same amount as the first person. How does he end that parable? He ends that parable not with, therefore, go and blah, 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 blah. Here's the application. Step one, step two, step three. No, it's not what Jesus does. He ends with a question, which most Americans in Western culture don't like. Like, bring some closure, Lyle. What's the point? What do you want me to do? We would hate it when Jesus taught from the pulpit. Well, maybe that's a little strong, but you know what I'm saying? Because what does he end with? He says, hey, don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or here's the question, are you envious because I'm generous? Done, walks on. What does he want you to do with that? Reflective curiosity is what he's wanting you to do with it. Last week, the whole conversation of who's the greatest in the kingdom began with what? Not the mother's request. It began with him saying, what do you want? What do you want? You see, I think there's a couple reasons why he asked this question to these two blind men. I'm gonna come to the second one. It's how we're gonna land the plane here in just a few minutes. But the first reason is this, is because Jesus wants a relationship with you. And I know, man, that doesn't land on you very like, oh, wow, thank you for that profound insight because so many of us are so over church that that insight is no longer profound. (laughs) Jesus doesn't just sort of halfway want to, like he wants, like capitalize all those letters, put them in bold in your mind, underline them. He wants wants a relationship with you and this search for a conversation here with these blind men is because Jesus desires a personal relationship with you and asking for what they want is an invitation to be vulnerable. Are you following me? Asking what these blind men want is an invitation of these blind men to be vulnerable and vulnerability builds and deepens relationship. And so I would just offer this to you as sort of free counsel when it comes to relationships. If you find your relationships with your friend or your spouse or whatever being static and kind of cold, I would put before you that the reason maybe that's why the case is happening is because neither party's being vulnerable. You're like this. And the relationship is not safe enough for you to share what's really going on inside of you. But when you do that, there's a way that the relationship deepens. There's a way that the relationship gets stronger. 
And this is exactly what Jesus is doing with these two blind men. Jesus is not just here to kind of do a little magic show and heal them. He could have, look, Jesus could have, I mean, he knows what they want. He knows what they need. He's God in the flesh. He's walking. Thousands of people are around him. He could have just went, right? you know, kind of like the Jedi people. Or, I don't know. It seemed like he could, have just done, he could have done anything to heal them, anything. He could have waved his hand. He said, I, I, I hear you down there. You're healed. Could have spoken into existence. You know, if you need some kind of physical object, you could have just thrown some pixie dust up there or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like he could have chosen so many ways to heal them. But he stopped. He called out to them and asked them, what do you want me to do? I love how one commentator says this. Jesus doesn't want to heal on demand. If this should mean kind of routine service, rapid help, and here's the phrase I like, faceless mercy or charity cases. Jesus wants to know you, know you deeply. And so he asks these blind men and he's asking you this morning, what do you want me to do for you? And look what happens. Verse 33. These men, Lord, they said to him, open our eyes. I love how the NIV translates this. We want our sight. And then describing Jesus here in verse 34, moved with compassion in this word here, uh, means Jesus felt from deep down inside. Jesus felt from deep down inside. I want us to hear this. This is not only true for these two blind men, it's also true for you. Jesus feels deeply for us, especially in seasons and in times where, where we're in pain and suffering and difficulty and when we're in places where our desires are not being met where we have unmet longings and unmet wants, Jesus feels deeply for you in those moments where, and I'm sure all of us have been here, where we cry out from our hearts, do you see me? Do you, do you care for me? Have you forgotten me? And hear the words of Jesus that are being expressed to us toward these two blind men that is also being expressed to you. He's moved with compassion for you. He feels deeply with you. He weeps with you. But he doesn't just feel deeply for you. He also wants to alleviate your pain and your suffering. And look what he did to these blind men. And Jesus did what? Touched their eyes. Immediately, they could see. And they followed him. Don't miss the detail here. Like I said earlier, Jesus could have healed in any manner whatsoever he wanted to. But Jesus chose intentionally to go and touch their eyes. And if you'll look through the Gospel of Matthew, where whenever the disease is particularly loathsome, he touches them. Chapter 8, verse 3, man with leprosy, 
maybe hasn't been touched all of his life. Says this, reaching out his hand, Jesus touched him. Chapter 9, verse 29, blind men also. It says this, then he, Jesus, touched their eyes. Jesus always moves in closer when others stay away. He touched them and immediately they were healed. So, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get your little piece of paper out or your phone out, wherever you put those lists of longings and desires that you listed out. I just want to encourage you to put those in front of you just for a few minutes. So one, he does care deeply about whatever you put on those pieces, that piece of paper. He cares deeply about that. I want you to hear that. And he also cares so deeply about that, that he gave of himself. So what we'll be looking at over the next several weeks. He gave of himself on your behalf to rescue you from trying to find those desires and wants and, and longings in something that will lead to your destruction, that will always leave you wanting more, right? So he cares deeply about whatever you put on that sheet of paper, and he cares so deeply that he gave of his life to rescue you and me from trying to find these desires, wants, longings in something or someone that will always leave you wanting. So I said, you know, why did, God, why did Jesus ask that question, what do you want from me? Yes, he wants a relationship with you, but also Jesus wants to know if their cry for mercy is a cry that Jesus, that, that they trust Jesus with their deepest longings and needs. I'll say it again. The reason why he's asking that question there is not only because he wants a relationship with you and I, you and me, he also wanted to know if their cry for mercy is a cry that trusts Jesus with their deepest need. If they ask for money, if they ask for food, then all they see Jesus is is just a regular guy. But if they ask for a cure, they see him as the son of David who can meet their deepest longings. Do you? I mean, the list that you have before me or wherever's on your phone or whatever, do you trust that Jesus can meet whatever longings and whatever desires, whatever needs you put on that piece of paper or in your phone, do you trust that Jesus can meet them? Ecclesiastes 1.8 says this, all things are wearisome, Amen. Can we just get a little hearty amen after these last seven months? Oh my gosh, right? Sometimes why I love Ecclesiastes, sometimes I don't understand what's going on there, but sometimes it resonates with my heart and soul. But look what else the writer says. More than any can, anyone can say, the eye is not satisfied by seeing or the ear filled with hearing. What in the world is the writer of Ecclesiastes saying in those last two lines there? The eye is not satisfied by seeing or the ear filled with hearing. He's talking about our desires are infinite. There is no limit to them. 
No point at which our desires and longings ever get satisfied. We're always wanting more. There's not enough seeing and doing and getting and going places to where we finally get to a place where we're satisfied and we're content. That's why some people will call life kind of like this unfinished symphony. We're frustrated with this sense of incompletion, this this melody of life where it's always sort of unresolved and the result of humanity and the result of our human condition is we're always kind of restless. We're not settled. So why is that? Why is it that our desires are infinite and they never get satisfied? Why is it that we, no matter how much we do, we're always wanting more? Well, my good friend and one that's taught me a ton here over the last year or so, Dallas Willard tells us why. And here's what he says. Desire is infinite partly because we're made by God, we're made for God, and we're made to need God. And I love this, we're made to run on God. We can be satisfied only by the one who is infinite, eternal, and able to supply all our needs. We're only at home in God. And when we fall away from God, the desire for the infinite remains. It doesn't go away, but it is displaced upon things that will certainly lead to our destruction. And then one writer commenting on this quote says this, so our only hope is to put desire back in its proper place on God and to put all other desires in their proper place below God, not to detach from all desire, as in Stoicism or Buddhism, but to come to the place where we no longer need, fill in the blank, to live a happy, restful life. Life with Jesus is not void of want, it's not void of desire, it's not void of longing. It's not about suppressing our desires or trying to do away with them, but it's about finding our desires met where they're created to be met in relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Nothing in life apart from God will fully satisfy our desires. What does David say in Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not say it out loud. Want. Do you trust that? Is that your experience? Do you believe that? That the Lord Jesus Christ is my shepherd and I shall not lack? Or do you resonate more with another poet who says this? I believe in the kingdom come, then all the colors will bleed into one, bleed into one, but yes, I'm still running. You broke the bonds and loosened, you loosened chains, you carried the cross of my shame. You know I believe it, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've always wanted to change that last little refrain. I mean, obviously, if you grew up in the 80s, you know what I'm talking about. If you didn't grow up in the 80s, this is a song that's lasted decades by Bono. I've always wanted to change, right, that last little two lines because we know what he's talking about here. He's not trying to 
you know, he's, he's obviously talking about being in relationship with Jesus Christ. You broke the bonds, you loosened the chains, carried the cross of my shame. He's talking about Jesus here. He's not, like, this is no, no, he's got, that's the figure he's talking about. And so what I want, I don't know, maybe you don't want this, but what I want the next line to say, you know, I believe it. And now I finally found what I'm looking for. But what does he say? But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. What's going on there, right? Which is true. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. Or I'm in relationship with Jesus Christ and I'm still wanting. I'm still looking. Which is true. It's the power of and. They both are. In great fashion, like poets do, they're speaking into our reality, are they not? Like, don't you experience more of life, not like Psalm 23, 1? I mean, that's what we want. That's what I want. That's what I desire, to be satisfied with Jesus, the shepherd of my soul, to where I don't have any lack. I don't have any want. I'm able to order all my desires to where I can enjoy the things of this earth without worshiping them, right? Has any of us arrived there? I'll be the first to raise the hand. I have not. So, so what do I do? Well, I'm always submitting myself to the ultimate truth, and the ultimate truth is what is revealed to us through the words of Jesus that go from Genesis to Revelation. And those words are not just like they stay in our head and make sure we got all our theological dots, whatever, you know what I'm trying to say there. It's a, it's a word to us. And so, yes, there's a layer that we need to know about the story of the blind man and how it points to us as Israel's true Messiah, but there's another layer where it's personal, and Jesus is going, look, I know you live in a fallen world with a fallen body. And I know that you long to find your desires fully met in me. And sometimes your experience doesn't get there. And so what do you continually do as a follower of Jesus Christ? You continue to go back to Jesus. <laughs> Help me. Help me. This is what I want. This is what I desire. I know I'm not finding it here. God, help me. Yes, it's a one-time decision. Yes, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, hear me. There comes a time when you need to see that the only pace all these desires wants and, and longings can only be fulfilled in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ because that's what you're made for. And you can continue going on trying to find it elsewhere, but you're always gonna be left wanting. But once you enter that relationship, it's not just a one-time decision and then life is awesome and amazing and you'll never lack and want. No! right? It's a continual going back to him. The Lord is my shepherd. I will not be in lack. I will not be in want. So Father, here are my desires. Here are my wants. Here are my longings. How am I trying to find these elsewhere that's going to leave me in destruction? That's what you're doing. And help me, help me to see what it looks like to find those desires and wants met in relationship with you. So this is what I'm going to ask you to do. I mean, I, I know these, 
these weird moments of silence, which I don't want them to be weird anymore. I think it's good for us to just be still and silent before the Lord. And so this is what I want us to do just for maybe a minute here. Just take out your seat again if you haven't done that. And I just want you to spend some time praying. And pray these, these kind of three things. One is like, all right, God, where? Where, where am I? Where am I finding these elsewhere? Where am I finding these desires and longings? Where am I trying to meet those elsewhere? God, show me how. How to find these within you. And then the last little prayers, help to cry for mercy. Help me. So let's take a minute here and let's do that. Hey, I'm Lyle Drury and the lead pastor at Sojourn Church, J-Town. Thanks for listening. We are here to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church, and send them into the world to be a faithful, loving presence. For more sermons, info about our church, or ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com slash JTown.